You're listening to the Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend Lucas Spinoza coming at you from the Black Sheep right here in the heart of Welland, Ontario. You are listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people, and we're here to show you how you can use your passions to live your life passion forward. Today, joined by an incredibly special guest, we have Ms. Emily Denny. Hello. who is amazing. She does a lot of things. She's pas- passionate about music and about the education in children and young adults. And young adults. And young Absolutely. adults. Anybody I and come I'm across. sure adults as well. <laughs> I'll educate you all. Just come talk to me. And she's a teacher at a local private school. Yes. But this is really exciting because I think private schools people don't know very much about. And we're not going to talk too much about your in particular school. But I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to dive into this conversation. So Emily, how are you? I'm so happy. I'm so happy today. I'm counting down the hours till I'm back in the classroom. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling very comfortable and uh, kind of thankful for where I'm at. I think a lot of teachers right now are sort of on the edge of their seats uh, in the opposite direction. So I'm just, yeah, I'm feeling really grateful and ready to roll. That's awesome. And I guess to give people a little bit of perspective, because by the time people are hearing this, it'll be a little bit after schools have started back up in Ontario. Um, And so for yourself as a teacher, what was that hiatus from school like? Was there a lot of, uh, of course, there's going to be uncertainty, but did you think it was going to last as long as it did? And and did you have a plan on how you wanted to come back to it? I could have never imagined that it would have lasted as long as it did. I don't think anybody fathomed that. yeah, you know, the first little bit off, it's sort of, it's sort of a nice. novelty, if you will. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, definitely I missed my regular life really quickly, uh, like anybody does. For sure. I think uh, that's a common theme with a lot of the people that we have on this podcast is that the first couple of weeks of COVID was really amazing for us because it was like the first time if you're an ambitious person or a motivated person it's hard to justify in your own mind giving yourself a break yeah, but when down. everyone's forced to it you, there's this guilt-free relaxation that I, I think is um unique to this situation but it, it becomes real after I think the first month and you're like okay I think this is long enough and then mm-hmm. you want to start getting back into the thing you love so much and I think that's a, a good place to start with this is you know you're a teacher Everybody knows somebody who is a teacher or uh, knows somebody who wants to be a teacher. And there's so little that people, I think, really understand about what goes into being a good teacher. You know? Oh, absolutely. So in your, in your mind, what makes a good teacher? Aside from the regular that you're going to hear everyone say, oh, well, caring about the kids. Right. What's, there's a real life bureaucracy to teaching. There's, there's uh, external pressure from parents. There's a lot of, of difficulties that come with being a teacher. There's a lot, So yes. what's the real nitty gritty answer? What, what is it that makes a good teacher uh, I in think your mind? What makes a good teacher is a person that loves to learn. You have to love to learn. And it, in teaching, you can learn so much and you're required to learn so much. So I think like baseline, if you don't love to learn, if you don't want to dive in, I don't think you're going to make a good teacher. You have to be excited about what they're learning about. 
also like mm-hmm. you're excited to relay the information it's just like getting a juicy like bit of gossip you know you're like whoo can't wait to share it and i feel like you know when i learn something new or when we're i know we're going to be focusing on a certain topic and i'm delving in and i'm surprised by what i learned and i'm excited that uh it's easy to relay that to them and then you become an engaging teacher they take their cue from you if you're reading from a textbook and you're clearly bored why would they care? Yeah. Like making learning meaningful, exper- meaningful experiences for them. That's very fair. Uh, it's a great answer. I, I find that, you know, in my experience as a young person who's somewhat freshly out of school, you know, I, I've had great teachers and I've had not so great teachers. And what you said, I think, highlights every good teacher that I've had is there are people that aren't there uh, because it's a good job. They're there they probably stay there longer because it's a good job, <laughs> but they also really do enjoy teaching and learning at the same time. They enjoy what they're teaching their students. Uh, they enjoy their students. Mm-hmm. Not everyone obviously is going to be uh, equally easy to teach, but you know, I, I'll give you an anecdote here anyway. When I was in uh, grade seven, my grade five teacher, Joe Castellan, uh, I went to Father Hennepin in Niagara Falls. He single-handedly got me into music, and there, he found there was, you know, five kids that were kind of nomads. They didn't really have very many friends. They didn't really fit into a certain category. We weren't smart enough to be nerds. You know, we weren't <laughs> fast enough to be athletes. And, and so um, he pulled all of us aside, talked to our parents, and kind of coordinated um, so that we would be musicians uh, because he was a musician, is a musician and knew that he could use that to help us. And so um, for a whole year, every Friday after school, he taught us uh, each how to play our instruments. One of the members of that soon-to-be band uh, already played, but the rest of us were very new, if had very little to no interest in music. And so, you know, I became a drummer because of him. And uh, ever since then, I've been playing music, and music's been a huge part of my life. And when I think about how to define what a good teacher is, that's what I think about every time is someone who was my teacher in grade five, two years later still cares about my growth and development and my education and how I fit into a social circle and um, you know how I use what I'm good at to progress in life. And mm-hmm. to this day, we still communicate. We're, we go back and forth and we talk about that and you know how far each of us have come, come from that moment and himself included, right, and mm-hmm. his family. and. Uh, I think of that as a as the standard of a good teacher, and that sounds like that's a lot to ask. That's a lot to ask of a teacher, but it, uh, yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't think it is. I think it's just humanity. Mm-hmm. Being a teacher is just being human and recognizing that they're human, for sure, and that they're capable. You're absolutely right. Like my girlfriend's a nurse, and uh, right now is a weird time to be in healthcare, of course, but. Before COVID, people didn't pay attention to healthcare workers. They didn't pay attention to teachers. They right, didn't it's just pay a atten- given. Exactly. These are just those granted. those yeah. careers that you expect them to be there. And you know, when when they started having their vacations being taken away, and you know, a lot of the the things that happen to everyday any other person at a workplace wouldn't have these workplace rights taken away from them, right? And, and so you'll hear certain nurses complaining, which they should, I mean, of course you should be upset if you have certain things taken away from you. But that's when I have that same thing I feel about teachers, which is why did you get into this, right? Mm-hmm. 
if if you're you in this to help people, yeah. right, do you care about the extra day for the long weekend or do you really want to help people save their lives, make their lives better? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it should be like this forever, but you know, me being a business owner, the world does not care how I'm feeling that day, right? Mm-hmm. I got into business. I accepted the risks that come with it. And COVID did, did not care whatsoever about the black sheep, right? We had to pivot. We had to adapt and learn how to, to evolve in, in this. So mm-hmm. I don't know. How, how do you feel like that, that plays it, into your life? Uh, definitely. I feel like, I feel like sometimes the attitude is what do I get? When is my break? Where is my parking spot? What bonus am I going to be paid? Am I going to be paid for my professional development? What am I get for? What am I going to get for this this day off? How many sick days do I get? Where <laughs> instead of what can I give? How can I contribute? How can I further someone? How can I bolster someone's attitude? How can I teach someone to love to learn? How can I show a parent their child's potential? You know, asking those questions rather than, you know, it's we kind of live in a me society for we sure really do and i don't think there's anything wrong with focusing on yourself whatsoever mm-hmm. I, I think the issue is it's it's a lie right you're lying about how much you care about something right if in certain professions you of course you should be putting yourself first but at the same time you know you're also in a profession where your job is to help people right and if if you are putting that behind a sick day then i think that that shows a bit of your character mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was talking to you about how we were going to, you know, when we wanted to have you come on and, you know, what we were going to talk about, Mm -hmm. we didn't we didn't get too far into what we were going to talk about. But I knew right away by just our few messages back and forth that you were incredibly are incredibly passionate (laughs) about being a teacher. Um, And that is rare. I mean, I know a handful of really awesome teachers, even teachers I haven't had myself. One of them we've had on this podcast, Tanya Carl, who's at Centennial. Uh, Amazing teacher, excited about her students. She comes in here with ex-students, like people who have graduated, and now now they come and have lunch together. Mm -hmm. And I I love that kind of a thing. But what is it exactly that makes you so excited to go into work every day? I know you say you like to be excited about what you learn, but there, there must be certain moments or certain things about your students or about the environment. What is it that really gets you excited about going into work? So environment, first and foremost, the school is sort of run like a homestead. We have chickens and bunnies and we take care of the school and the kids take care of the school. Mm. We don't have a maintenance crew. We don't have a custodian. We have six teachers and every single last one of them is as passionate or more passionate than myself. Mm. We are a well-oiled machine. We love each other. We care for each other. We know the ins and outs of every student that walks through the door of the school. And uh, we go right from little wee guys, right from 18 months, right to the end of grade four. And if there is a child that is struggling with something, every teacher in that school knows, knows what's up, knows how to deal. We're there. We're all there to support that child. So no matter whether you're just passing that child, you've got that support to offer. You're in the know all Mm -hmm. the time. And we, uh, you know, we are on the same page. We meet every single day. And that's, that's really sort of the spring off point, I think, is that support and that, um, that expectation that you're there to, to care about them and to nurture them and to make sure that every single one of them gets what they need. That's amazing. 
I, I had no idea what the scope of your, uh, of your experience was there um, and what it's like to teach there. And I can imagine that kind of attention really helps the development of, uh, of the students there, which is really cool. What is it that I'm sure that anyone who wants to become a teacher, mm. let's say they're, they are very ta- um, passionate about teaching and they want to help students grow, There's, there seems to be a traditional path on how to get from point A to B, right? You go to school, go to teacher's college, you graduate, you f- try to get your, you find a board that you want to be a part of and then you join that and, and, and hopefully you get a job. Niagara is very competitive when it comes to, to teaching. Um, I don't want to get into that too far because I'm sure you have thoughts on that and, too. And but. my educational experience is very sort of atypical. So it's not like the typical go to teacher's college, go here, go there, do the supply thing. You know, I, I, um, I was able to join the school straight away. That's amazing. So, so let's on, talk on about that. sort of a recommendation, I had an interview and that was it. So like this is my 16th year. And so this, how did you get into teaching? Years. You knew you wanted to be a teacher. You... I did not know I wanted to be a teacher. That is, the, that is the silly thing. <laughs> it's such an embarrassing story. It's like one of those classic, um, you know, it all started with a boy <laughs> sort of situations. Do I, now, is it the boy that I know? It is the boy okay. that you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it worked out. So I guess it's, it's, it's sort of funny, but I thought I would go into musical theater and, and, you know, I would be an actress and a performer. And like, you know, when you're 17, that's easy to do. <laughs> it's no problem. Yeah. But, you know, as an adult looking back, you know that that road is not a necessarily a viable option in most cases, maybe 99.9% of the time, it's not going to happen. And I, I think that I surprised myself because I, I never grew up thinking, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a teacher. But once I started to teach, and the, the more the years went on, I, I loved it more as I went. But now looking back at, from, you know, being a kid and hanging out with younger kids and loving to babysit and, you know, um, really gravitating towards kids who had special needs or different types of people, mm-hmm. you know, I look back and I go, oh, like, you know, this is maybe the proper spot for me. I just didn't know it yet. And I think that it was like a fate would have it sort of moment. And uh, him and I met teaching in Hong Kong, which you didn't have to be a teacher. You had to be a high school graduate. And we how did, spent how did a you, year there. I want to figure, figure this part <laughs> out. How did you end up in Hong Kong first? Oh, okay. Actually, so it's interesting. I had this friend. We were really good friends when we were young. We hit high school and like... High school is such a bigger pool of people, and we ended up having sort of different friend groups all the way through high school until grade 12. We both had a spare. None of our mutual friends had spares together. We ended up spending all this time together, and she brings up this, that her brother was invited to interview for this position teaching in Hong Kong after high school, and he wasn't interested. And she's like, I want to do it. So I spent the weekend at her house after, like, not being you know not being friendly with her for years Mm -hmm. out of nowhere all of a sudden we're pals again and i'm at the i'm at her house and she's explaining this program and i'm like oh this sounds fun yeah and in the back of my head i'm thinking my parents will never go for this (laughs) i you know i grew up north of huntsville in the country very very sheltered yeah uh and i don't know how i got them to go for it i'd have no idea i still don't know (laughs) but i ended up yeah, getting hired. And then we got a list of all the people that were going from 
all around the world. It's students from Ontario or from Canada, uh, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, uh, all over Europe, the UK. And uh, <clears throat> we got this list of everyone that was going. I found Joe. We started talking, and then the rest is history. So we spent that whole year teaching together, getting to know each other. <clears throat> we came home after a year and went our separate ways. I thought I need to do something. Uh, and I was looking at the Niagara College website uh, alphabetically. <laughs> I've been there. I've no been joke. There. Accounting. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, contractor. No. Dental assistant. Oh, early childhood educator. Oh, I could do that. Oh, that sounds like fun. I like kids. Boom. And here we are. <laughs> so with, with your experience in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. meeting Joe, falling in love with these kids, you know, figuring out maybe this is a career you enjoy. You f you're going through alphabetical order at the Niagara <laughs> College website. It's so bad and no, so embarrassing. No, it's not. I love this. <laughs> Early childhood education, right? Studies on that. After you, you had graduated from that program, how did you find... I don't see. I don't want to get too far into the, the name of the school, but how, how do I phrase this? How did you get from that point? Because if you were to go to a traditional school route... Yes that wouldn't have been enough to no, get you in the position, right? right? Exactly. And, I, and I love this, right? So don't, I, I'm only digging because I think this is really awesome. Dig away. I'm not, I'm not self-conscious. I really, <laughs> I really want to emphasize to people that there's a difference between learning and educating, right? Yourself, right? So when, when I was in school, there's a lot of things that I learned but I didn't get an education, you know, like, of course I, you know, you learn the negative algebraic fractions with integers and those are difficult. <laughs> and I don't know if I could do them today, to be honest, I really have no clue. Well, one um, ear and out the other. It's, it's a bizarre world. And so there's all these things. And I would question my teachers and say, you know, how, where am I going to use this? And right. a lot of the time, you know, they would say, oh, you will, or certain careers you will the really honest teachers will, would say, well, you won't, but it's pushing your brain and you know, whatever. You're but learning that, to learn. You're that, learning that there's a process. That still never satisfied me, <laughs> right? So as I got older and, you know, I opened up my own place and I became, you know, successful in my own right and I am enjoying doing what I do with zero business experience outside of working with my dad in his place, right? I never right. went to Just business school. Just straight experience, good people to show you the way and, yeah. and the passion behind it. Exactly. And so need. that's why I, I love your story so much already is because people would say, well, oh, you're a teacher. You need, you need to have more. But what did you learn in, in a traditional teacher's college that you've applied? They don't teach you specific subjects. They usually teach you how to run a classroom or how to organize your if notes that. or if that, you know, if and, and most boards are, are they're dumping curriculum. Are, exactly. They're, they're just not. dumping curriculum on your lap. And then you just, mm -hmm. you're basically a, sorry to some teachers, but some of them are just overpaid babysitters, you know, and I, you may not agree with that, but some of them are. And I don't even mean that at the younger levels. I think that usually happens as you get into, you know, higher education. High school. Right? Yeah, seriously. Ooh, yeah. And, but anyway. Well, the, in high I, school, I if anywhere, that. if there's anywhere to be an engaging teacher, it's high school. For sure. And it, that's a very hard time to keep you know, younger teens and, and, and older teens right. engaged. They've got it's lots difficult. of other stuff going on other than you know, sitting in that chair and coming to school. They've got lots of stuff. So you better be able to get their attention. Boys are looking and girls are trying to run away. It's, 
which I don't blame Hormones them. Hormones. It's, it's a disaster. They're trying to figure out who they are. And But I think this is amazing because, you know, I haven't seen the statistics, but I can almost guarantee just from hearing your story that the students that are coming out of your place, or at least out of your classrooms, are really enjoy they they're learning something more they really truly are getting some skills to take into the future with them Um, and that isn't something that i think can be taught to a teacher you know i I think that's something that you have to have your own life experiences and figure out how education works for you best Mm -hmm. um, and then you can translate that into something that works for your students and you have to want it for them yeah. You have to want it for them so that you can go, okay, what is my goal for them? How am I going to, how am I going to do it? And how, or, or how much fun are we going to have? Like, how can I make this the most fun, the most engaging, the most, um, you know, tangible, the most real life that I can, you for know, sure. memorable. If you think about, well, you're a parent, so you know this. I am. You know, <laughs> nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, there are a few, but there are very few people on this planet who become parents that go to some sort of parenting school or class. You know, very few even ever pick up a book on parenting. They just do it. Uh, And I would argue that there are some, of course, there's a lot of bad parents out there, but so many are great parents and have no education, right? There's no formal parenting education, and yet they figure it out somehow. Mm -hmm. And what's the difference if you teach your kid how to speak and how to use the bathroom for the first time and you know how manners and how to treat other people how is it that you can't be a teacher right to teach someone basic math skills or you know Mm -hmm. um life skills taking care of chickens you know (laughs) like how nature plays such a huge role and and most schools, nature is so disconnected from the school system that, you know, they, they get out in the real world and they see ground beef in a supermarket and they think that that's just how it comes. It's made in a factory, but they don't realize there's cows out there that have to, you know, mm-hmm. be nurtured for. So I, I just really love your story. I, I think that it's important that not saying that there are certain careers that you, you, of course, you need an education. Like if you want to be a surgeon, you should probably learn how to do that, you know? So don't, don't practice on frogs in your backyard. But, lay still. Just lay still. It'll be all right. <laughs> well, no, I, I think that Half is... Half of it's bedside manner. You know? Some countries, maybe. Not, not here, but thankfully. No, I think that's really cool. Uh, how does... So music, you said you were talking about... Um, was it musical theater? Musical specifically theater. that you liked specifically i mean like i like music in general so when did you 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 mentioned before we got started that you were a singer so when when you talk musical theater were you talking that you wanted to be someone who sung in them or do you also oh, play yeah. instruments i, I and wanted stuff? to be on stage and act and be in big shows and that was the goal when i was a kid for sure i'm not playing it down i was the lion in the whiz you know oh that's fantastic yeah the motown <laughs> version of uh the wizard of oz which that's a great show it, it's amazing but you know in retrospect I, i'm I think to myself, like, I don't know if an all-white school should have been playing a Motown version of I, the Wizard I of I went Oz, to but. Toronto once, and, uh, and I auditioned for The Lion King, and they said, you know, like, you're, just, you're a little too white. Just come back and try out for Mamma Mia. <laughs> <laughs> they, really, they really did. I was like, oh, okay. Well, honestly, like, especially because we didn't even change the dialogue, and so, 
like the the term cultural appropriation 10 oh. years ago wasn't really there and but you look back and like, you sort of cringe <laughs> oh god i i have the dvd which tells you that it was 10 years ago of of us doing this performance and you know i was so proud of it you know i spent so much time working on it and i would never would have called myself a singer then i was always a drummer and you know my my music teachers kind of pushed me to start singing and you know then it went from that because i was never shy on stage so they're like well you should have a more a, a, a bigger part because we have very few men especially right in musical theater always, that are willing to do that. Always looking for men in musical yeah. theater. And, and so then I ended up getting better and better parts and and then I ended up with this but you know when I first read it I was a little embarrassed because it, it wasn't the way I speak right and, and oh <laughs> That's man. That's called being an actor. But, Come on now. <laughs> but it just was so foreign to me it was such a weird now watching it back it's so uncomfortable. But, oh, yeah. yeah. But looking back at anything you do when you're really young like that is just cringy. Mm. Nobody wants to watch themselves. Well, some people want to watch themselves, but most of us don't want to watch ourselves. I don't mind listening to myself. I just don't like watching myself as much. So, uh, like, when I, whenever I was recording music back in the day, I would love to show people, like, the not show, but present them with like, here's our songs. Like I want you to listen to them. And I would like listen to them with them. And that's something a lot of musicians have a hard time doing is listening to themselves, especially in front of other people. Oh yeah. That's a tough thing, but I've, I've always liked that. But watching myself is a little tougher because you, I think you can remember sounds more accurately than you can visuals. So you think you look great, but it doesn't look as good yeah, as you. I know. <laughs> What's your favorite musical? Oh, my favorite musical? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't even know. You know, that's, that part of my life is so, like... <laughs> it's, it's so distant? Yeah, like, I don't even think I have a favorite musical. But music isn't, right? So music isn't. You know, how, music's it's every day. It's all how, the time. How is it that you bring music into the classroom? Because oh, you had, you in had mentioned that a little way. bit when we were going all back and forth. All the time. You know, we have days where we just sing everything we talk, everything we say instead of talking. Of course, we're not going to be able to do that for a little while. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I definitely plan on bringing music outside. I'm going to pick up my guitar. I'm going to pick up my ukulele and we're going to go outside and we're going to sing because there is no way I can't make it through a week without going out and singing with those kids. I love and, that. And, you know, they start, we start them really little, like 18 months on. And there, there's no coincidence that every single kid in my class, you know, eight, nine, 10, um, eight and nine year old boys and girls, there's, there's no coincidence that every single one of them is into it, loves it. Mm. They're given her, they're, they're singing and their eyes are closed and they feel it and they <laughs> oh, yeah. get it because they're raised in it. And that's, that's also another big part of the school is that we're with those kids from the time they're little yep. and we're with them for years. And, and whether you happen to be, to be their it, right? teacher that year, you are going to come across those kids all the time, you know, and you're invested in them because, you know, you either know, hey, I used to teach you and you used, used to be mine. And I'm proud watching you in that next class because I know I've prepared you to enter that teacher's class because we know what we expect. Mm -hmm. And so you're either doing that or or you're going, OK, like, let's prepare you. Let's get you ready so that you you're going to hit that class and you're going to make me proud. And, I love that. you know, so you're always invested in what's going on. So there, there's like a different level of accountability. You're not. You're not going to say, oh, this child's difficult. I'm going to just suck it up this year and deal with it rather than excel at it. I'm going to deal with it and I'm going to shove this child onto the next person. You know, I can't wait till this year's over. It's, there is none of that. There's none that. of that. You have a difficult child and you better believe that every single one of those teacher, teachers there is going to put in 
a massive amount of effort and get on the same page and make sure that child's successful because that child is going to come and visit every single one of us. And if he's little now, well, let's start right now so that by the time he gets to my class and it's a challenge, he's able to meet that challenge and excel and be happy. That's amazing. Yeah. And so you're grade three then? I'm grade three, four. Grade three, four. Mm -hmm. is, every, is every grade a split? So we, uh, our little, little weest uh, guys are 18 months to three. And then the main level of the school is preschool, JK, SK. Then we have a grade one, two and a grade three, four. So they're very small classes. So 10 little wee ones total, two teachers. And then uh, between 16 and 20, just depending on the year, uh, preschool, JK, SK. And that's with two teachers. And then grade one, two this year is eight. And my class is eight students. So that's very, amazing. very small, very intimate. Mm -hmm. very, that's the way it's got to be. And a huge space. For sure. So, you know, we're, we're going into the school year sort of like we're able to breathe and look forward to it and, you know, know that the, the kids are going to have a great year. We're mm. not going, oh, what have we taken from them? Oh, the poor kids. Oh, what are they missing? You know, we're, we're looking at it like, you know, what are they getting? What can we give them? Where do we start? How can we rebuild this? I love that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you had mentioned something about, you know, how, the, how into the singing and, and the dancing and the music that, that kids are. And, you know, that, they love that it. Their eyes it's closed. inherent in them. That is inherent. And you have to foster it and all the way along because they do reach that age where all of a sudden they're very self-aware. For <laughs> sure. Six, seven. And they're like, ooh, maybe someone's looking at me. But when they're, you know, when they're noticed and appreciated for that sort of participation and they they just enjoy it they don't think about it because everybody is mm -hmm. excited to do it well that's what i wanted to ask you about that mm -hmm. because I, I feel like this is a bit of a cultural thing mostly western cultures because you know i've i've been to you know a few different countries um and even in the states you know there's each state has its own kind of microculture where yes, for sure they've got their own feeling and they, they've got kind of their own moral standards and things yep. like that but I find that it's something that we teach, especially boys, once they get to a certain age, that you can't do that anymore. The dancing, eh, Timmy, that's too much now, you right. know? And mm -hmm. I, I find that so wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm someone who found music after childhood, you know, right. which is pretty strange because normally it's a kid who, you know, you loves to sing and it. dance, and mm -hmm. I never did. I was always very shy, right. uh, and music is actually what helped get me out of my shell. Um, and so because I was, I started playing rock music, you don't feel like you need to be ashamed of it because it's, it's the man cool. genre, right? It's yeah. the guy genre, right? right? Yep. And, and it's cool and it's something that it's always all okay for guys to be a part of. Mm -hmm. But I, I found as I, you know, ha found other interests, getting into musical theater, liking um, jazz and things like that, where maybe it's a little bit more, um, I guess, feminine in certain ways right that you would have other people start to look at you i've never been the, never been the kind of guy to care what what people think but right that's but i don't think I'm lucky that's have, yeah i don't think right? that's the norm i it's think that's not the norm yeah you know being confident and okay with yourself and okay if people care about what choices you're making i think that's rare yeah. to have yeah and i think, I think that's, that, that's what i'm excited to hear with you is that you're unteaching the, the mm -hmm. sh I guess the uh, the culture of embarrassment right. right that that so many young people face and the same thing is true of, of girls but in other fields like in sports right like 
well, honey, you really shouldn't be playing hockey because, you know, like once you get to a certain age, the boys are going to be faster and there's the chances of you getting into this professionally is low. And that that kind of discouragement is disgusting. I think it is important that if, you know, (laughs) you're an awful singer and (laughs) you're like, you know, (laughs) yeah. And and you want to be a singer professionally. I'm not going to do anything else. Right. Your parents should have an honest (laughs) conversation like Susie, you know. We love you, and right. we don't want you to stop singing. But you really need to get better if you think you're gonna right. teach teach somebody yeah. some reasonable expectations for exactly. themselves. Exactly, <laughs> there's ways of doing that. Because my my dad, that was the one thing people used to criticize him for, but I'm thankful of is you know I always wanted to keep up with my family and sports and everything. And once I got to a certain age, it, it was becoming less interesting to me. He's like, Lucas, you got to stop playing basketball. You are awful. Yeah. <laughs> And so let me just level with you yeah, out of he, love. He, he's always been honest. Right. Yeah. But then the things that, you know, maybe I wasn't good at yet. He knew there was potential there. Like with music, nobody in my family plays music. Right. Now I, there's a couple cousins that do. But at the time, no one did. Uh, and so he has no reference. He has no like guidebook. How do you what do I get him started in? You know, how do I how do I get him to excel and practice mm-hmm. and whatever? These were all trial and error. But he always pushed me. He's like, if you want to do it put your heart into it, you know, practice, take it seriously. But he's like, you know, there's a difference when you're first starting. And if you've been doing it for 10 years, if you haven't gotten better, maybe, maybe it's time to pick something Mm -hmm. else. And I think there's something to be said for a parent that is able to be honest with their child, because, you know, you can pat them on their head and tell them they're the best all their lives. But we all know that you will reach a certain point in your life where you will look around and go, oh, like, I'm not the best. And there's always going to be someone better than me. And unfortunately, when you reach that point in your surprise, someone has missed that window of opportunity to teach you coping skills and resilience and to go, hey, I'm not the best. And that's all right. I'm okay with myself. Doesn't change the way that people around me feel. For sure. about who I am. And I, I think that's something that's missing too, is that, uh, you know, instead of teaching and treating children as capable, you know, strong individuals, you know, mental health is really at the forefront of what we're thinking about now. And I think parents, justifiably so, are terrified of you know, knocking their kids' confidence. What if my child is depressed? What if they're anxious about something? But there, there is such a thing as a healthy level of anxiety, and they need to experience that to, to build resilience. And, mm-hmm. you know, instead of taking the opportunity to save them from the hurt, like sometimes you have to look at that as an opportunity to show them how to cope, to, to take the fall to learn that they're okay. When you solve it and you fix it and you pick them up and fix it for them and save them from that unhappiness, you rob them of the opportunity to go, oh, like, okay, that was terrible, (laughs) but I'm still standing. People still love me. I know who I am. I'm okay. And to be okay in the world, you know, they're not going to magically reach a certain age and, you know, their employer's going to think they're wonderful just for showing up. Wow. I mean, you, you nailed that. And and I learned that quickly because, you know, again, 
when you're a young person, people have different expectations of you. They have a, a different view of what you're capable of. And, you know, when I became an employer myself, because I've always grown up around small business, even before my dad had a bakery, my grandpa had Falls Manor in Niagara Falls, and mm -hmm. it was there for, he sold it on the 50th anniversary. So, I mean, it's been in my family for a very long time, small business. But until I became an employer myself, where I'm writing the checks and mm -hmm. I'm the, the person that has to keep everyone in line, I didn't realize how different the culture of employment was from generation to generation where Ooh, you know yes. my best employees that i've had have all been adults you know minus Proper adults minus two you know there, there <laughs> were two really like young people that i've had here who mm. have excelled and have been amazing but i mean my current staffing you know is they're adults you know mm. we i have they're 40 mid 40s plus yeah you know and and the thing is i literally have had people my age or slightly younger come in mm -hmm. and for the record here people I'm 26 I've had people uh, you know my age and younger come in and they'll show up at 801 yeah no. for, for eight o'clock 10 to 8 and I'm like at Guys, least you start at eight yeah you don't through get the door get eight. your shoes like off, I'm talking organized. you have to be making a latte at eight o'clock Yes. You know, I don't pay you for how long it takes you to get your clothes on. I, I pay you for when you start here. Which and then is there's always excuses. Well, I couldn't do this because I had that and I'm not feeling well and I hurt my foot. And The excuses know. I like better than, than the complete ignorance to the whole, I guess, the whole workplace environment where they're like, oh, I didn't realize that didn't realize that was a I problem. I mattered. Hmm. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you talk? Yeah, that's, it's crazy. I get that. So <laughs> to touch on that. And sorry, there's a stupid fly in yeah, here. Yeah, so it's okay. That's He's all right. being vicious. I don't know. I'm not doing some sort of interpretive dance. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm for people that are watching this instead of listening. <laughs> yeah, if you hear a clap, I'm going to kill it. So okay. It's right. I don't get me some chopsticks. Just... <laughs> I apologize to any uh, Janus that are listening to this. I know, like <laughs> someone's going to feel things. you're going to get re like angry letters about the fly. Yeah, but the fly, the fly. If you hear a clap, it's dead. Okay. Or it's attempted murder on, on my part. Anyway, proceed. So uh, to touch on that, um, you know, the expectation where I teach, um, there's a lot of expectations. And, and if you want to be an effective teacher and have enough time to prepare yourself and to, you know, put into it what you need to to get where you'd like to be, you know, school starts at 8.30. Every single teacher is working at 7.30, full hour before every single day, if, if not a little earlier. And school is out at 3.30. So it's kind of a, in a long, it's a, it's a longer school day. I think some, lots of the schools maybe just go till 2.15 or 2.30. Um, and every teacher is at the school until 5 o'clock. So long day. it's a long day. Uh, and it just is kind of the norm. And, you know, 5 o'clock, I'm like, man, it's 5 o'clock already. It's never like, oh, it's 4.30, 30 more minutes. Like, oh, man, I only have 30 more minutes. <laughs> and I think that is missing. For sure. I don't, that's not the norm. Like, I realize that's not the norm, but and, I feel and like that's the, missing. The other thing, when I said earlier about, you know, how some teachers are, you know, can act as babysitters more so, the reason I'm so critical about that, because I, I am very aware that there's a lot of great teachers out mm -hmm. there that don't feel that way, that they do come into work every day and, mm -hmm. and want the best for the kids. Some of them are handcuffed because of whatever system they ha oh, happen to be in. Teachers are in tough positions where they, they can't 
intervene. They can't take a child's hand and go, come on and redirect them or For sure. their hands are tied. And, and that's one thing I want to touch on because mm-hmm. I think even in those systems, there's a lot of good that can be, that can be made and done on their part. It, it's just a lot of it has to come down to attentiveness. And if mm-hmm. you're checked out, your students are going to be checked out, right? And, and it's the culture, you mm-hmm. know, like the teachers that are excellent teachers are under supported for sure they're under supported you know and and if you take one teacher and they're surrounded by eight teachers that are like ugh, you know they're rolling their eyes and they're jaded it's very hard to be that one teacher that's you know come on let's make a difference when everyone around you is just like ugh. <laughs> yeah especially because if you are that one teacher and you say forget it i don't i don't care i'm gonna do it my way you know then you've got kind of the the herd looking at you and they start saying oh well she's well, you're overachieving you're and, making me look bad yeah yeah, yeah. And that happens in all fields, but to that and to those people, I, I would just say like if you as many middle fingers as you have, stick them <laughs> up. Because at the end of the day, like you have one shot, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't know who's in your classroom. You could severely be changing someone's life for the better mm-hmm. or the worse. You know, I mean if you're in this and you truly want to help people, you you care about your job, you care about your students, every day matters. Like I sell coffee for a living. Mm-hmm. This is not in any way, you know, a field that is like, wow, you know, good for you, man. Like you're changing the world one, one cup at a time. That's not the kind of field that I'm in. But to my surprise, the amount of people who would message us and mm-hmm. say, you know, when we come to the black sheep, you give us so much extra and like break Absolutely. us out of that cycle. Yes. And we literally, we do, we have people sending us messages all mm-hmm. the time, um, especially the artists, because we don't charge, um, wall rental wall rental or commission fees mm-hmm. on the paintings right you know we provide opportunity for original artists for music and when when they send us a message and say you know i've been playing in niagara for this long or in welland in particular and there's no one would pay us for this or you know i i didn't realize that people cared about this you start to realize how much in, of an influence you have no matter what you do on people you know oh, and yeah if you just it's not about the coffee it's about it, the you know? experience exactly. it's about the experience and so don't get me wrong i don't every single day wake up and say i'm going to make a difference today you know right. it's the opposite i think mm-hmm. that's what's important is you're just you're doing what you believe in you know your heart's in it mm-hmm. and you don't have to actively be thinking about it but as long as it's there you know it's going to it's it's going to shine out of you and onto other people and that's like you can go to any restaurant and there you'll find there's always that one server who puts a little bit extra in and every time you go you hope that they're going to be the one serving you because what's the difference it's the mm-hmm. same cooks in the kitchen it's the same food it's the same walls the same decor the same table the, but the difference and what really makes it enjoyable is that one person serving you so i, I don't think it matters what field you're in but mm-hmm. again in healthcare and in education that you have the onus is on you you know yes. like the burden is on your shoulders and and i it doesn't mean it needs to be you don't have to have that anxiety it doesn't need to be stressful but just put a little bit 10% more love in and you'll see how how the results are yielded and just exponentially. Oh, definitely. Like I couldn't agree with you more. Definitely. It's it's not about the product. It's not about any of that. It's about the people. And I feel like sometimes when you walk into even a store like Winners or mm-hmm. you go through the drive-through at A&W or you walk into a Little Caesars. It sounds silly, right? Mm-hmm. They're these, you know, chain kind of type places. Maybe they hire like teenagers and <clears throat> when you go into a place for where they're happy and they're quick and they're smiling and they're attentive and Mm. they're there you can see them they're communicating with each other and you can stand at a place and 
recognize effective leadership right away. For sure. And uh, that's another, you know, that's another big thing for the school that I'm at is that, you know, we have a really great fearless leader and she is passionate and she loves what she does and she puts in that physical work. You know, she would never expect us to do something that she does not do. <clears throat> and not only does she, she owns the school, she does all the administration and she teaches full time all day. That's so cool. We don't have a secretary. We answer the phone ourselves. We talk to the parents on the phone. We do the yard maintenance. We rake the leaves with the kids. We put the garbage out. You know, we clean the toilets ourselves. I clean my own I classroom. I was going to ask you. I, we do all our own cleaning. So we <laughs> don't clean, have a custodian. I clean at all. my own toilets here too, people. We do all our own. Yeah. Not with my hair. And I know. you know what? Like the kids see us doing that. The kids see us caring for the place. And then, you know, they just do it too. They take ownership of their environment they respect what's going on around them it's theirs you know for my class grade three four i have a rotating um a rotating sort of job list and so now it'll be obviously different this this year for a little while at least it's all very hands off right the kids are yeah. not dabbling in cleaning or touching food or doing any of that but typically one of my students would be in charge of snack which means they come in in the morning and before they start their work, I have a full kitchen in my classroom. So it's a, it's a great big um, barn and it's all refinished. So we have a full kitchen. And so, you know, that student comes in in the morning, they put away their shoes, they wash their hands, they go into the kitchen, they start looking through cupboards and the freezer and the fridge and they decide, we provide the food, they decide what's for snack that day. That's awesome. And then at a certain point in the day, they excuse themselves from their work, they go into the kitchen, they start prepping. This makes me want to go back to grade three, four. <laughs> and, you know, and at that point, and we don't remind them. Like, you would be tempted to go, oh, so-and-so, come on, like, snacks in 10 minutes. Mm. And for me, I'm so guilty. I really want to get in there and tell them, come on, because I go. get a little anxious. But, you know, to learn to sit back and go, okay, they're capable. And what's going to happen if snack isn't prepared? It, we're going to have a lesson. Something's going to happen here and mm. it's going to be valuable. Whether there's something to eat there or something not to eat there, it's going to be just as valuable. Mm. And, you know, and then I have a, a kid that comes in, they empty the dishwasher, they put everything away. At the end of the day, when all the dishes are in the dishwasher, they go in, they put the dishwasher soap in. They know when they, we need jet dry because the dishes are all wet and they're the ones <laughs> emptying and having to dry them all and put them away. Uh, you know, a kid empties the garbages at the end of the day. A kid vacuums the rugs at the end of the day. So they rotate through that. This Every is week. amazing. Like, I, I don't know if this is something that people know about exists for education as an option for their kids, mm -hmm. but like, I don't even see any other way after hearing this. It's, it's like, so much fun. I'm very fortunate, you know, very, very fortunate. And I, and I like to preface with that because, you know, I'm, I have a great family, you know, and they're very supportive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And although when I was younger, I didn't get it. You know, like, of course, I was resentful having you to work don't. weekends. You don't. Hindsight is 2020 exactly. 20 when you're a kid. And working holidays. I was like, come on, Dad. Like, why do I have to roll panini? Like, can't I just right. go out and hang out with Mike? And like, listen, you know, you, this is something you have to do. And he would never tell me in the moment why. He just right. was basically trying to make us upset by saying, you don't have a choice. Right. This toe is the line. Do. There's nothing wrong with having to toe the line. And the, yes. that is missing. And then after, though, he would say, this is why. 
right? Mm -hmm. He'd always say, this is why I did that, right? right? And then the freedom we were given later, right? To do the things we wanted to do because Well, now they know you're lesson. responsible. Yeah. Now they know that you can be trusted. Mm -hmm. And even when we were perfect, like if, if my brother Zach and I were 10 out of 10. He was the worst one though, probably, right? Like he was way worse than you, yeah? Well, yeah, but, <laughs> but that's because I'm a kiss ass. <laughs> Not because he's a bad person. Makes all the difference. Because I, I don't like getting in trouble. So I, I would do whatever I had to do to me keep my either. dad happy. Oh, I don't want to get in trouble. No. <laughs> like if, if, if anyone raises their voice at me when I was a little kid, <laughs> I would cry. Immediately, Same. Immediately cry. Yes. Now I, it takes a little bit longer, but I still do. <laughs> if it's my dad or my girlfriend, I still cry. <laughs> Some, uh, one little tear can go a long way, you know. It does. No, but... Um, anyway, I, I always like to, to say that because, you know, I think I got that education that, that you are providing to your mm -hmm. students from my parents, right? So I, I was very fortunate to have that. But some people's parents are afraid, as you said, of discipline uh, and that development of a child, they will, will consider criticism or something like that. Or, or they're trying, it, it looks like you're hurting the child in some way or they're right. psyche, they don't, they don't want to make their child feel uncomfortable, but, but why not? Yeah. Who better to make your child feel uncomfortable than you Exactly. in their safe home, in their safe place where they're protected and they trust you. Mm -hmm. No, it's absolutely correct. Uh, right. I mean, then they're an adult and they're, when their boss turns to them and says, you know what, like, you know, I like the way that you were doing this, but it's just not quite up to the standard. Then they don't go home and go, oh, I'm a horrible person. They they improve it. They go, oh, yeah, okay, I can do better. And they must be excited to show their parents like the first time they do snacks and say, hey, we made macaroni and cheese Ooh, today. they love it. And they must be so excited. And they want to make the same thing for dinner to, for, for their sure. parents. For sure. And right? how empowering when you put those little things into their hands. And, you know, emptying the dishwasher you know, we do it all the time. It's something you're going to probably do for the rest of your life. If you're lucky enough to even it's an, have a dishwasher. And it's an easy, simple <laughs> skill that they can do. But lots of parents, it wouldn't even occur to them mm -hmm. to go, okay, this is your job. Yeah. Because the kid like, you know, whines and moans and well, I don't want to do that. And they're afraid of that. They don't want to hear it. So that it's easier hmm. to just do it themselves. But then you reach a point where it's not easier. And now yep. they're, they're, they're used to saying no and, and that's the way it goes. But... For sure. Like I actually love chores with the exception of laundry. I love, <laughs> I love folding laundry. I just hate. Everyone like, hates putting when, it away. Whenever I, <laughs> no, that's fine too. For me, it's like when I see an, a full hamper, I'm like, how is that possible? You know, I'm always like so confused by how many clothes. So wait, do you have kids and their clothes are like this big and you, you're folding, you see a basket of laundry <laughs> now. It's all like big life-size things. You have a basket of laundry when you have little people. It's and it's like 8,000 tiny cloths <laughs> and itty bitty shorts. And you, it's like triple the, the load, but it's yeah. very deceiving. And, and sometimes full of certain types of excrement. Yeah, it's not super fun sometimes. No. <laughs> yeah, it takes a long time to fold all that. But, but I think that's, you know, to your point, this is something that later in life, it becomes, your life becomes easier because you did it when you were young. Yes, when, it's the, when you don't have responsibility, like now, you know, I run a business. I have two other things that I do with like, obviously with city council, mm -hmm. I've got the podcast. I have a, you know, the hot sauce business now too. Plus I have a full social life and I have a girlfriend who right. I spend a ton of time with and a really close family. Yeah, and you and, learned how to balance all of that. Yes. Because you, what you're doing is effective. 
you know how to do it. You're not sure. standing there scratching your head, pondering over every move you make because someone's empowered you to make a decision. But it also, I mean, it, it makes you not feel like it's a chore later in life, right? right. Like when you have kids f for the first time, that's got to be so drastic, the lifestyle change, right? And oh, yeah. for people who are pampered their whole life and, and never have to to deal with responsibility or have any accountability. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how terrifying those first few months must be of like, wait, I don't have a choice. I have to do it right now forever. Mm -hmm. That's gotta be. Yeah. And even, even from coming from a place of being very responsible and with an individual, having kids is hard. It's no joke. That's for sure. You, you never, you know, it's just one of those things you can't ever understand until you do it. And you do have one of the cutest children I've ever met in my <laughs> life. Well, thank you. The little one's pretty cute, too. He just hasn't been in here because COVID. Yeah, what's his name? Joseph. Joe Jr. Of course. I love it. Everybody's Joseph in that family. Very but I couldn't cool. call him Joe or Joey. I'm like, no, he's Joe. He's Joey. I couldn't call him. It's so weird. And sometimes people will say, like, how's Joe? And I'm answering for Big Joe. And they're like, oh, no, I mean, your son. I'm like, he's... <laughs> That's He's not Joseph. his name. <laughs> I love that's like me and Lucas. I'm I'm a Lucas. I'm you're not Lucas. A Luke. You're not Luke. Yeah. yeah. My brother's the opposite. He's a he's a Zach, not a Zachary. His name is Zachary, mm -hmm. but he hates it. Like he's like I'm a Zach. That's well, and I, I have a Liv, and she's just Liv. And mm -hmm. so people try and shorten Joseph's name to Joe, and they try and lengthen hers to Olivia. So her actual name's Liv. It's just Liv. Yeah. Interesting. We always joke she that she thinks her name was just Liv. Because we're always like, no, just live. That's very cool. <laughs> just live. And it's funny, too, because in my family, instead of Joe or Joseph, mm. like in my Italian side, it's you would take the matriarch or patriarch's name mm -hmm. and that they've had the same name from someone else further down the line. Right. Uh, but every generation becomes less and less Italian. Like I am <laughs> hardly, I mean, aside from the middle name Lucas. and the chest hair, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm Canadian, right? Right. So... You know, I want to continue the tradition, of course, but I'm thinking like, is my kid's name going to be Umberto? <laughs> That's my middle name, right? Lucas Umberto Spinoza. It's like, it's weird for me <laughs> yeah, to even say. When you say, say the whole thing, you go, okay. Yeah, it makes sense, <laughs> but it's weird, you know? And then yeah. same thing, my, I have a little sister um, who my dad had with, with his girlfriend now. Right. Um, and a her very little sister. So she's five, right? Five turning she, six. She's going into, is she going into grade one? She's a late birthday. Yeah, I guess she would be going into grade one. When's her birthday? December. No, she's going into SK. She'll just I be the oldest, I think. Oh, no, wait. She would. Yeah, she'd be going into grade one. Grade one. Is she going off to school? Yeah, oh, yeah. And she's, how's your dad feeling about it? Is oh, he he's fine. Happy I, and confident to ship her off? School never mattered for him because his lifestyle with the business, like whenever the kids, like us, and then now with her, like, mm -hmm. it's easy. He's yeah. always found it easy. I think maybe more so for, for Stacy, his girlfriend, for sure. Mm -hmm. Because that's, that's, the whole, that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. But yeah, her middle name is Vincenza, which is my Nona's name. Right. Right? And then it, that just goes all the way. So it's, it's a weird thing. And I, don't, I can't see that continuing past... And also, that's a hard thing to convince your partner too, right? Like in 2020, <laughs> yes. like and my girlfriend's Polish and English. So I'm like, yeah. It's going to be a really odd <laughs> combo. I did convince, not convince. I think it was a good argument. I think we had a good, like a productive one. Not a, not a screaming argument. I'm talking like <laughs> a, a proper debate, right? Of like Debate. Oh, that's a nicer way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. We, we both, you know, now as we've been together long enough, now we start thinking of like our future and getting married and if we're going to have kids, if we had a girl, what we would we name her. And I think we've settled on Lorella as if it's a girl. So it's not really super Italian. 
Uh, but we could be like, it could be Lori. Right. Or she could short it if she wants to. Or Ella. Or right? Ella. Right. Yes. And then, you know, you get that nice elongated name that looks good on paper and sort of professional. Exactly. And I've always had this thing about romantic names or romantic sounding names that I always find like I've never heard of an unsuccessful person with a romantic name before. Fair you enough. think about it that way, right? Like, I don't know. And I, I don't want to choose a profession. I won't do that. But <laughs> <laughs> to give an example, but I'm sure you could think of someone in your family who you're like, oh, you know. I know. I'm not going to say understand. a word. Yeah, I understand. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, the one thing we didn't really touch much on that I'm very curious about is the parent relationship with you as a teacher. Obviously, when you have a, a class that's that small, you, mm. you have a very intimate relationship with, with the students. Yes. But you must have also a very strong relationship with the parents. Most definitely. And especially because a lot of these families are invested in the school for a number of years. You know, I had a whole batch of kids that I taught from the time they were two. And I personally taught them from the time they were two and took them right up to the end of grade three. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know them really well. So and you've we taught have, all the way then. I, I have taught all of them except for the preschool, like 18 months to three. Now we used to be in an old location and we would, we started at 27 months. So two and a bit, mm -hmm. oh, right up to age six in one room in our old location. Cool. But now we're able to split off, but yeah, I taught right from young all the way to up to grade four. So I've spent like several years doing preschool, JKSK, a lot of years doing grade one, two. And this is just my second doing grade three, four. But it's, you know, it's not all that different. The content is a little bit different, of course, but the fundamentals, the character development, like, you know, making them human. Uh, Love it. It's, it's all there. But to touch on the, the relationship with the parents, you know, it's it's really great because when you have families that are invested for that many years and they know that you know their child you know what's up you know you know that child really well and you know when you have that rapport with a kid teaching is easy they respect you you love them you know you respect them and it's easy and you know what if you have if something's up with the kid and you need to talk to the parent it's a thousand times easier when you have that rapport with that parent because you know, those sensitive conversations can be really, really hard. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always things that come up that you kind of go, oh, I really don't want to bring this up or, you know, but we, we definitely have a close relationship with the parents and we, our families are so great. They're so great. They're so, um, they're so on board, which there's something to be said for that because even like pre-COVID, COVID aside, uh, the school always was the kids. It always belonged to them. The parents stop at the gate and the child goes through the gate and into the school. The, kid, the parents are not in the school. They don't always know what's happening. Mm -hmm. we, they don't get a ton of details all the time, but they trust because they see what kind of child is coming home and you know the abilities that are emerging and the attitude that they see and the shift that they see in, in happiness or in demeanor or in confidence. And they, they trust. And it's a, that's a big ask to yeah. ask parents to just ship them off through the door and s take that step back and go, okay, you know, it's a leap of faith when you're not able to get in there and see what's going on. And, you know, there's so many there's so many places now that have these apps where parents are able to check in and watch their child and constant it's communication. Gross. And it's like, 
you know, let, how would you feel, for instance, if you went to work all day and your spouse was getting updates all day on you? <laughs> but they're just human. How would yeah. you feel if your spouse is going, oh, well, Lucas, Lucas was a bit of a turd today. You know, he, he kind of pushed somebody in the line. Oh, oh, Luke, oh, look, now Lucas is doing that. Wouldn't that be weird? Yeah, it would be bizarre. So, of course, we want to protect our children. But do we really need to know every single little detail? of what they've done and who they've talked to and something they, like they've stepped out of line, who cares? Mm. For, for us during the day, it's another thing that we just don't do is that we are not giving poor reports yeah. about children to their families. We just don't do it unless it is a serious issue that needs sitting that down and addressing. Right? No, we deal with it in the in moment. The moment yeah. It's a teachable moment. It's, an ex- it's a social experience. And then we move on. Yep. You don't vilify that child and then make them take it home. Just think your boss sits you down and says, oh, you know, you haven't, you haven't done so well this week and yada, yada, yada. And again, they sent a letter home to your spouse and said, you know, your husband, he really was kind of useless this week. How do you feel taking that home with you to somebody who you love? And how does that person's perception of you change it's the way scary. they treat you? Yeah, it's scary. Because instead of going, okay, this was age appropriate, it's, it's, a, it's a kid thing, and I'm sorry, there's lots of things. Kids do stupid things. Oh, they sure. pull little stunts. Really <laughs> nice kids pull really nasty, nasty stunts. It's part of growing up. Mm-hmm. It's part of their learning. And that's and when you pull them aside and you use that as a lesson, right? That's and you know, we don't always even pull them aside because the, uh, it's such an intimate a- atmosphere. The other kids certainly are privy to a child that's maybe you know having a fit or having a hard time. And mm-hmm. rather than yelling at that child and consciously, we, we consciously do not say their names. So for instance, if you were being a bit of a bum that day, I wouldn't be like, Lucas, blah, 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 Lucas, da, 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 Lucas. Da. We don't do that ever because you plant that little Lucas seed in all their little friends' heads and they hear your name and they, they start to associate you as Negative like a bad kid. So just be something as simple as that, it's a big thing. Yeah. But you know, if, we, if something happens, Everything stops. Social education, character education comes before every little bit of that academic education at school. So, you know, we, we'd have an incident where the, the two kids are like arguing and they can't, they can't solve it. They're, they're getting heated. They're getting irritated. And because we have the freedom of our day, you know, we're not working off bells. I can say, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? Okay, let's stop and see if we can figure it out together. You know, and we're talking, those eight kids are talking amongst each other. Oh, this one thinks this and this one thinks that. And what could they do and how could they solve it? And, you know, and then they start to appreciate each other. They understand someone else is human. Mm-hmm. They understand that they're not out to get them or, or hurt their feelings. Or, you know, simple stuff like saying, saying no, that they're allowed to say no. Can I play with you? Not right now. I'm playing with this friend. Where parents get so upset they don't want their kids to not share they don't want their kids to be left out mm-hmm. but you know we do a lot of putting it back on that child you feel left out what can you do you could ask again you could find someone else to be with you could find something else to do this time and teaching them like that doesn't mean they don't like you that means they don't want to be with you right now and that's going to happen to you lots of times in your life this is amazing you know, I, I, we're running out of time here, but I... <laughs> I could go on for days. <laughs> this, I think, to, to leave one last little anecdote, because what you said, it's like I'm looking in a mirror right now, because one thing I've, I've been... It's the tall hair. 
So I went to a Catholic school, right? From JK through grade 12, right? Mm-hmm. From start to finish. One of the most smothering and anti-freedom establishments that's ever existed. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> Obviously, I had a horrible experience with self-expression. And by looking at me now, it's easy to tell why the Catholic school board did not like the way that I looked. Um, I, I think it's so important that the onus is on the individual. Mm-hmm. Because when I started having problems, because I didn't have it through elementary school as much, but I always experienced bullying and, and stuff like that. That was never something that was an issue. But there was such a huge push. There was campaigns, very well-financed campaigns on anti-bullying. And I've always thought that was a complete waste. Opposite. Because shouldn't it be pro-individual? Yes. Shouldn't it be teaching them how to deal with conflict One and how to deal huge, with assholes? One of my huge things in my class is, is, and I say it maybe daily, mm-hmm. that if they do anything that day, I want them to notice mm-hmm. and appreciate. Notice someone struggling, appreciate that's hard for them, mm-hmm. chip in. Or notice a little kid mastering something and how proud they look appreciate it smile tell someone hey look that's so cute they're they're trying really hard notice and appreciate because wow if if they can do that you know they they're open to things and then you know if you're open to other individuals and to appreciate someone you don't have to feel bad about yourself you know you can't you don't have to feel bad that someone else is excelling you get to celebrate it mm-hmm. because you know that when you excel we're going to celebrate you too I mean, that, it's so brilliant because if you think about it, a child does not need to have you point a finger at who is a, is a mean child or who's a boy. That. I because hate those they already words know. so much. They know who the problem is. They know who is, well, I shouldn't even say problem. They, they know, know who who's is causing learning. them problems. They know who has some right? learning to do. Exactly. Yeah. But it's not always so obvious what they can do you know, to, to resolve some of the issues they're feeling because of that person and their actions. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think what what you're doing is brilliant. Um, and, and your whole organization, I will hopefully learn more in the future. Now that I know this, you'll never, never leave this place in five minutes. It'll be (laughs) long conversations. Um, but no, I, I think it's incredibly important. The very last thing I wanted to say, again, this is the anecdotal part of it Mm -hmm. is once I got into high school, you know, I started I was already playing music at that point, but I started playing in, you know, heavier bands. And so I immediately wanted to start wearing spiky wristbands. And my, that's when the famous hair started. You know, <laughs> I started putting it up and it started dyeing it and changing colors and I got facial piercings. And the thing is, I was always a great student, always high 80s and 90s. You know, I was on the honor roll, academic achievement awards. And on top of that, I was very respectful to teachers and administrators, you mm-hmm. know, like, Ne- never once challenged them in, in an inappropriate way, inappropriate way, sorry, at, at school. Uh, but to my surprise, after four years of high school, no problem, the last semester of my last year of high school, I had that famous, can Lucas Spinoza please come to the principal's office? Lucas Spinoza to the principal's office. I knew what it, was, what it was, so I called my dad. I'm like, Pops, I think today's the day, because I warned him. And sure enough, they kicked me out of school for my hair, right? And I was like, this is... So bizarre. And, you know, the vice principal that I dealt with is a great person. Uh, and he said, Lucas, listen, this is wrong. And, and you should be upset about this. But I have, I have to. So he's like, you need to figure out something or, you know, maybe you can just cut it a little bit. Uh, 
and I just, it never sat well with me. And so that is, again, when we talk about self, you know, self accountability, right? Mm -hmm. I told them, call me when I can come back as is. And 10 days passed and they called me like, when are you coming back? I'm like, I'm not coming back. Like I'm coming back when I can come back as is. We had a, a whole thing scheduled with a superintendent. And I basically said, listen, I'm a Canadian student, right? First and foremost, I'm a Canadian citizen. In, in, in Canada and in Ontario, I have a right to education. It's either you're going to let me back in the classroom or we're going into courts. There's, that's the only way this is going to roll, right? And because, of course, it can be in your agenda, it can be in your code of conduct, but you cannot deny a, an, a minor the right to education because of you don't like the way their face looks or their hair looks. It's crazy. Or because I can't be on your Niagara Catholic billboards. That's, that's the only reason, because if you looked at me on paper... I'd be the ideal student, someone who's respectful and someone who has, excels in education and it participates in extracurriculars. Mm -hmm. So that is something that, you know, more people should be taught from a young age. And the funny thing, and it sounds like I'm still angry, but I'm not because <laughs> we've, we've talked about this now. I actually was invited two years in a row to speak at the grad retreat, you know, about my experience in the same, to the same school, right. right? To the same graduating mm -hmm. class. And now they've, I, I think they've learned at least a little bit about why that's wrong, you know, and, and how I used what I am as a person to excel in my own life, right? Mm -hmm. And hence what this podcast is all about, right? Is finding individuals who have pushed past, you know, societal boundaries or, you know, family boundaries or relationship boundaries, whatever is holding them back or what normally would be a box around them. Mm -hmm. They've either found a gate or a way to climb over that box, you know, and, and into this world of opportunity and and it's really it's so close for so many people but they're just told and they believe that they have to stay in that box mm -hmm. and if if so many, if just one person would hear you talk about education and think you know what i want something different for my kid you mm -hmm. know and they put them in a program that that gives them that same kind of treatment and that ability to grow on their own and and learn accountability and responsibility it could change that kid so their life so dramatically in for a for the positive right mm -hmm. they might experience something or break the cycle of poverty in their family or whatever whatever's holding their family back or or their lineage it's as simple as just taking one step further outside of your comfort zone than you're used to yeah and you know when you when you're able to focus on that character education when those kids come through the door feeling empowered confident the academics just fall into place you don't have to drill it it just happens you take a confident learner that approaches something new with oh yeah okay something new interesting i can do this it's easy you take a kid that thinks maybe they're not so good and they're you know thinking about what the people beside them are thinking of them how can you be well equipped to learn you're just not yeah and you know that being said i do have to say that uh we spend such a great deal of time on outside of the box learning building you know handwork stitching sewing weaving all kinds of stuff but with all that other time that we spend doing all those other things their academics still are, on average, six months to a year ahead of their peers. 
Of course, because instead of saying memorize this multiplication chart, it's you're showing them how to do that in patterns with with mm -hmm. sewing or, you know, when when they're doing recipes cooking. for snack, you you know, here's measurements and how to convert, mm -hmm. you know, different units. And it's brilliant. Yeah. Emily, you surprised me. <laughs> I I always knew that I liked you as a person, but having <laughs> having this conversation, I didn't. I've never been aware of this side of education before, so I'm very happy we had this conversation. I hope everybody listening enjoyed this conversation, as I'm sure they have. Uh, and I just appreciate your time. So thanks Thank for being here. Thank you so here. much. We great. will see you guys next week. Hey, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Above the Mug. For more episodes, check us out at AboveTheMug.com. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, comment, tag your friends. This way you're not the only person listening to this thing. We come up with a brand new podcast every Sunday at noon, so we'll see you next week on Above the Mug.